Welcome to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. We're here to create comfort along the entrepreneurial journey and really the life journey. Join us for inspiring, dynamic conversations that make the arduous process of venturing out into the unknown feel more doable because we believe in making the impossible possible. We hope you'll join us as we play in the infinite. So pull up a seat, grab a blanket, let's get cozy. Welcome back to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. I am so excited for you guys to hear from our guest, Caitlin McGray's today. It's going to be such a good one. If you are someone who loves birth stories and just really like whether you've given birth or you haven't, there's something so fascinating about birth, the process of birth, the experience of birth good, bad, or otherwise. And what really stands out to me about this interview today is Caitlin's amazing experience with birth and how her three different birth experiences really informed what she's building now as a CEO and founder of Be Her Village. So I found out about Be Her Village. I always give credit where credit's due for how these interviews come across my desk and how these connections are made. Um, But uh, the founder of Pilates RX, that is a wholesaler of nip gloss, um, actually has connected some of her For the Moms Pilates programs onto Be Her Village. And I had seen her tag Be Her Village before, and I thought, okay, what is this? This looks really cool. I want to check it out. And um, just reached out and um, so excited now to have had the experience with Caitlin McGray's on this episode. So She is someone who had a crazy experience um, going into motherhood. And like most of us, it's a whirlwind experience where you had no idea what it was going to be like as, I mean, how, how would you, right? And then you get in there and a lot of us, like even myself, start to notice all the things that that don't exist that we need, whether that's products, services, support, and she's really on a mission to make the world better. There's a statement on her website I'd like to read. It says, <clears throat> making motherhood better, I envision a world where every new mother has education in pregnancy, a doula by her side when she gives birth, and a village of friends and professionals taking care of her while she cares for the new baby. We offer women access to any service that they need to have a supported pregnancy, birth, and early parenthood experience. Experience. And oh, I love it because the perinatal journey is really what we're focused on here too at Cozy Cozy. And Be Her Village helps families get the funds that they need to get access to doulas, childbirth education, pelvic floor health, lactation consultants, mental health support, and more. And what's interesting to me is the way that they are helping women create these registries because it's not like just ask for money so you can get a postpartum massage. They actually have birth workers here to help you imagine that registry. And we talk about this in the episode, but there's nothing wrong with a beautiful curated baby list registry. It's fun to make. There's lots of good products. But we need to start thinking differently and thinking about how we can be better prepared for what is really involved with postpartum. Because what's really involved is the care that the mom needs, not just the baby products. And our society has spent so much time focusing on what baby needs and um, 
my biggest regret is I had an amazing postpartum doula, but not until my son was 12 weeks old. And it was almost like she came in at 12 weeks. I kind of just needed more of like what I thought was a babysitter. And she picked up all the pieces I didn't know had fallen apart. Like she was like, wait, how often are you pumping? Like, wait, why are you doing it that way? Like, can I help you with your latch? Like, what are you eating? Can I can I clean the bottles for you? Like she was, I, I say like a babysitter on steroids and um, all the questions that I had had but didn't even realize I hadn't asked them because I didn't have anyone to ask. She came in at 12 weeks and just really, really stood by my side until my son was actually six months because I didn't realize that some postpartum doulas will stay for up to a year. So um, anyway, really, really beautiful thing that um, Caitlin has built and is growing and you guys are going to get so much wisdom, not only for what you might need if you're pregnant with this episode, but also if you are a doula, if you are a birth worker, if you're curious about it, you will be completely inspired. Um, I said it in the episode, but I'll say it here like as a teaser. I wanted to like go give birth after this. I was like, it just like amped me up for birth because it is as hard as mine was and as traumatic as mine was, it still was a magical experience. So I'm very excited today to bring to you the CEO and founder of Be Her Village, Caitlin McGrace. And before we dive into the episode, I would absolutely love to just give you guys a quick update on what is going on with Cozy Cozy because you guys have been along for the ride when this was just an idea to having our first skew live our nipple and lip balm with the ceramic head applicator that has a very lovely cooling effect i have talked to two different uh perinatal care specialists in the last 48 hours both of whom also reminded me that when you apply nipple balm with your finger we're not necessarily conscious of how clean our hands are so not to scare anyone or be a complete germaphobe but my impetus for creating nip gloss as our first skew was to reduce mess and stress, right? Like getting nipple balm under your fingernails, trying to wipe it on a burp cloth while holding a baby and unscrewing a jar just was messy, stressful, and annoying. I wanted something easier. And I hadn't actually completely thought about the bacterial impacts of using our hands for a while. So I love that that they brought that up. And as always, there is a coupon code for you listeners in the show notes for 20% off if you are interested in trying nip gloss. So I really appreciate you guys um, for all of the continue to support. If you are not on our newsletter, the newsletter is not just a spammy like buy our nip gloss thing. We actually refer back to our podcast we've had previously, current podcast episodes that are dropping, a lot of our partners through the space that have special deals going on. I'm just thinking out loud here, um, like Little Coco Bean Co, who Tracy Skelly has been on this podcast before. They featured nip gloss in their top tot shop recently in Seaport. Boston and they are hosting breastfeeding classes sponsored by Nurture by Naps who have also been on this podcast and things like that that could be really helpful for you on your perinatal journey. We did not start a newsletter to sell nip gloss and case in point we started our newsletter an entire year before we even had a product to sell just giving resources every week. So there is a link to subscribe to our newsletter if you are pregnant thinking about getting pregnant or postpartum highly recommend you join the newsletter and um, you can also obviously find out information about products that we have coming down the pipeline. Um, Our Peacup is live for pre-order now, which is incredibly exciting, you guys. Um, What's crazy is, obviously, I am 32. I have tons of friends who are trying to conceive, who are pregnant, who are trying to conceive their second, so on and so forth. And so I've been sending out prototypes to friends like, hey, does this work for you? Because just because I can pee in it doesn't mean it works for everybody else. 
and three different women have peed and gotten a positive pregnancy test. And I feel like that's just a really good vibes all around. I'm using it obviously for testing for LH. I'm gonna do a Dutch hormone test today. I'm gonna use it to test my urine for the Dutch hormone test as well. So if you need an ergonomic pee cup uh, or you wanna get on the wait list, we are gonna have limited units available with our first big uh, product run. So you can pre-order today. Link is in the show notes. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of it for the big items. Oh, final note. You have a, if you're listening to this when it launches on Sunday, October 15th, you have approximately 24 hours to enter to win a free bump box giveaway. The bump box has an amazing tummy scrub in it. It has a belly butter. It has preggy hydration, little nutrition things that you put in your water. It's got access to get a free breast pump through Bump Health. It has a mama tumbler, a water bag, or it's not a water bag, a tote bag, and of course, a nip gloss. So if you are interested in that, to enter, you just have to subscribe to our newsletter, SMS subscribe to Bump Boxes, and we will, and then like our post at Cozy Cozy Mama. Follow us both on Instagram, and you will be entered to win the free box. We're going to announce the winner end of day Monday, which is tomorrow from when you're listening. So very excited that Bump Boxes will be featuring Nip Gloss in their third trimester box this coming December. So also go check out Bump Boxes because they've got great products. So thank you all so much for the continued support. I'm kind of having a pinch me moment because even though I know these are all tiny, small micro steps, they are also mighty steps because a year ago we didn't even know we were going to make nip gloss and or when it was going to be, when the bra was going to be done. So we're getting there. But for now, without further ado, I introduce to you guys the amazing Caitlin McRae's of Be Her Village. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Garrett. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited as well. Uh, just having been literally perusing a registry this morning for my sister-in-law, uh, the subject of how to really prepare for birth and parenthood is is really top of mind for me. And it it has been since I had my son. So I'm excited to dive in. But before we do, the question I ask all guests is, who are you before labels, titles, or what someone could Google about you? Mm, I am somebody who cares a lot about a lot of things <laughs> to my detriment sometimes <laughs> um, and who has always wanted to make an impact since I was a little girl. I'm 39 now and I don't feel like I've ever outgrown that feeling of wanting to change the world as sort of naive and innocent as that sounds. Um, I've gotten much more specific on it, but I'm somebody who cares a lot, who shows up every day to try to make things better for moms because of what I went through when I became a mom. Mm, I'm so excited to dig into more to your story. Um, before we do, what was one of the things you wanted to change in the world when you were younger? Oh my goodness. I just wanted to make it better. I didn't understand why things were bad. I didn't understand the bad news. And you know what? I still don't. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I just never understood sort of like why kids were allowed to be hungry and why there was war and why everyone didn't have a safe home to be tucked into bed and a parent to read them a book. Like I just, I didn't understand the basics and yet I still don't, like I say that now and I still don't understand why that's not 
the case, why everyone doesn't have that safety and security. And I mean, we're we're recording this not to get political, but we're recording oh. this like the week of the Israeli attacks. They were attacked. And it's I mean, my social media, I'm like sort of trying to stay away from it. And not because I don't want to like dive into I, I love politics. I love world politics. But there's so much pain out there. And there are so many mothers hurting right now. And there's so many people hurting. And it's, I don't understand why that is. I don't understand why humankind has not figured out how to love and be peaceful and share our resources. Like the things we're learning in kindergarten, why isn't that the way? And again, I hear my own like naiveness, but it's just why, and I know why, right? Like we can dive into systemic and racism and white supremacy and, you know, all these things. Like I get it, I get it. But also there's this little girl inside of me. Why, why can't we do that? Why can't everybody have a warm meal when they need it and love and safety that the basics, right. Of that pyramid of needs. Um, yeah, that's wow. I'm like on the verge of tears because, um, well, I first and foremost, I believe that it's our inner child that is like our most powerful aspect of self if we can stay connected to it. And um, speaking of kindergarten, when I was five, my dad was in the Air Force and he was stationed in Korea. And my parents, my mom, took my brothers and I, we were really close in age, all under the age of, or five and under to Korea to visit him. And for um, whatever reason the, they, they decided to take us to an orphanage. Well, I guess the reason was Christmas and we were bringing presents, but at age five, I basically was able to comprehend that little, these kids don't have a mommy and a daddy to take care of them, to read them a story. And like it, I, I kind of, I don't know if it was like too painful that it, that I blocked it out, but um, I was talking to uh, an investor actually recently and I broke down in tears because they're asking me about my why. And I was like, whoa, that's it. Like, it's so, um, it's so, there's so much pain if you tune into that. And, and I love that your, what you're building, what you've built is so connected to that aspect of you that realized that as well at, at such an early age. Um Tell me about your aspirations. Um, one of the questions I'm always really interested in is for the people who knew they wanted to be a mom or the people who were like, I'm not really sure. And then it, you know, it always changes your life in, in, for, in so many ways. But was being a parent something you planned on, something you hoped for, or was it something you weren't sure about and then decided? I was always going to be a mom. I always knew I was going to be a mom. Um, I always played house. I was always like caring for little creatures and like stuffed animals and dolls. I was always very nurturing and maternal. The thing I didn't know actually was if I was going to do it alone or with a partner. I was a child of the 90s whose parents got divorced like half of our parents, right? That was like a very popular thing back then. Um, so I was sort of dead set on like, I definitely was going to be a mom, but I sort of imagined it happening through like IVF and like single parenthood by choice. Mostly, I think, because I couldn't imagine getting stuck married to someone. That was like, that was the thing I was nervous about, not becoming a mother. Um, so it actually caught me off guard when I met my husband and I fell in love with him. And I had this like incredible 
primal, like, I need to make small humans with you right now. Like, it just, it totally caught me off guard how much I wanted to marry him and how much I wanted to procreate with him because that wasn't on my sort of, like, I didn't have a plan for my life. I didn't feel any pressure of, like, getting older. I just, I was totally fine. Everything was going to work out. That's sort of my, always my mentality. It's all going to work out. Um, so it sort of surprised me at 26, 27, when it was just like, oh, let's do it right now. Let's get married and have kids. Like I had a hard time not being pregnant for my wedding. Like I had a hard time like holding off so that I could drink at my wedding. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Definitely motherhood was on the table though. Wow. So how old were you when you had your first? I was 28. I got engaged at 26, married at 27, and then got pregnant almost immediately and had him when I was 28. So I was 28, 30, and 31 when I gave birth. Wow. Okay. So really close. And which was it the first birth you mentioned, like motherhood, like getting into it was really challenging for you. Was it, was the first birth the hardest? Like talk to us about kind of your entrance to motherhood and then flash us all the way forward to like, you're two years out from your third and you're like, Mm, how long did it take you to come back to yourself? Because that's such a close gap for having three. It's still happening right now. To be honest with you, my trajectory in like a nutshell was special ed teacher. I fell in love with my teacher's assistant. That's who's now working as a teacher in the same school where we worked together when we were 22. Um, Had got married, had babies, had, you know, thought I was ready. I was 20 something. I was invincible. I was outspoken and I hired midwives and I took the childbirth classes and I thought I was ready. And I could not believe how um, instantly my voice was taken from me, how instantly my choices were taken, how instantly my power was stripped in my birth experience. I went from planning an out of hospital birth center birth um, with midwives who I thought were in charge of my care, but the way the laws are structured in New York, I only learned this, you know, in hindsight, um, the midwives were just sort of puppets for the OBs who owned the birth center. So there was like this invisible, like almost like Oz, the Wizard of Oz, like there was this OB on the phone that my midwife would consult with and then go, okay, so Dr. So-and-so who I've never met or heard of has told us it's time to be induced. Like, okay, now it's time for your C-section. Okay. You know, and it was like, okay. It just, the whole thing sort of unraveled um, in this just totally jarring way that shook me, shook me to my core because I do show up like everything's going to work out and not, not always, although maybe not recently, not always such in a naive way. <laughs> like I feel like I've used the word naive four times already in the, in our five minutes together. But um, there's this, there was this like, there was this thing that happened to me that I think happens to a lot of new moms where they don't understand the severity and danger and dysfunction of the maternal health care system. So they go in as they should be allowed to go in. They go in thinking, it's all going to work out. Yeah, I'm going to hire this midwife or this OB or this whoever, and I'm going to plan my birth and I'm going to be cared for properly. And when I get to the hospital, the nurses are going to be kind. And I'm going to get the care that me and my baby need to be safe, to be whole, to have a good experience. And that's something that I wish, I wish could be the trust that we could have, but it's not. And I was one of many people that have the exact same story of, trying for a vaginal birth, of going in for an induction, 
and for that induction to turn into an epidural to turn into a C-section. It was, it's like, I always tell people my first birth was traumatic and it was also standard maternal Amer- uh, American maternal care. Like it was, there was nothing traumatic about it except that it was horrible, you know, like except that I felt disempowered and voiceless. And I ended up with this body that had been cut open and this baby that was like, what just happened, you know? Um, and I, that was my entry into motherhood. And it was, it was not just the C-section and it was not just the treatment of the nurses, the abandonment of the midwife, this random faceless OB that was calling the shots for me. It was not all of that just, it was also my husband didn't have paid paternity leave despite working for New York City. Yeah, I wrote a letter to the mayor, which I write a lot of letters when I get to I would <laughs> But I wrote a letter to the letter to the mayor, like after the fact, like, I am I reading this right? Like he doesn't get paternity leave. He had to go back to work. I gave birth Saturday morning at 5 a.m. and he was back at work on Monday. We didn't have the money for unpaid leave. We were 28. I don't know. We we just didn't, it wasn't in what we were able to swing. And uh my mother took me home from the hospital. I was still in the hospital when he went back to work. Um, I returned, he was working full time, he was in grad school full time. And I was sort of thrust with my new C-section scar into motherhood. And I had this moment, I remember just not even knowing which way was up. It's so disorienting. And it's, and I just, for anyone who's listening to this pregnant, it's also disorienting because you just love this little bundle more than you could ever love anybody. So it's not all bad, even though I'm sort of painting this dire picture. It's also disorienting in the love that you have in the, in the hormones and the attachment in the like, oh, this world now looks brand new because I have this child to protect in it. Right. Um, But I also remember sitting in my, uh, in my nursery that I spent so much time preparing that I spent so much time worrying about the things I had my baby shower I had my registry I registered for all the things and I got all the things and that was how I was prepared by my community and by my society I was told I need all this stuff and I remember sitting in that nursery and I was trying to figure out how to get myself and my son ready for our first pediatrician's appointment my mom was driving out to come take us and I she found me nursing naked crying because yeah. I didn't know how to take a shower. I was getting naked to go take a shower and I couldn't figure out where do I put him? How do I breastfeed? How do I know if he's full? How, like just which, how do I do this? What is this? Yeah. And, right. And none of the things that I had prepared with mm-hmm. had act, were helpful in the slightest. Nobody was telling me I was doing a great job, which by the way, I don't think I was doing a great job, <laughs> but like nobody was telling me how to do it. And it just, the whole entry was just, I was lost. I was confused. I was alone. And like my mom was there. I, I always feel bad when I'm like going on podcasts, like I was alone. So I created Be for Village. And it's like, hey, mom, you know, she was there, but your mom's not enough. Motherhood needs an entire community of professionals and friends and neighbors and and all kinds of people to help this enormous transition. Um, so that was my first birth. And my second one came 23 months later. And I had a V back. And the V-back, oh, the V-back, it was so wonderful. I don't know if people can hear me. I'm whispering. It was so wonderful. Um, and it was wonderful, not just because it was vaginal birth. You know, I am always really careful to say, like, the C-section was sort of traumatic, but not because of the C-section. It was traumatic because of how I was treated oh, yeah. and because of all the other things, you know. 
the vaginal birth was glorious even before he came out of my vagina. Although I did scream immediately, I had a baby out of my vagina like right <laughs> after the whole labor and delivery floor. It's shocking. Me? Yeah. You're like, wait, oh, it's, it, what, what was that? It's wild. It after and it was an unmedicated one so I felt wow. everything and like the amount of pressure and the amount of just intensity and then the release and the hormones that come after it's just it's an unbelievable experience to say the least it was very healing it was very redemptive um and it was just it was unbelievably jarring to me how two years apart less than two years apart I had such different experiences um and that was what led me to like look into doula support. I texted my doula that I had for my second. And I said, I need to, I need to pick your brain. I think I need to go be a doula. So we went out for breakfast. She told me everything to do. She got me started. Um, and, and that was sort of, that was the second birth. It was healing. It was, I did everything the opposite. So I didn't take childbirth ed because I took it the first time I used an OB because I used a midwife the first time I planned a hospital birth. Like I just did everything opposite so I could have an opposite experience. And then with my third birth, I actually decided to have a home birth because, because I, I did most of my VBAC labor at home. I labored for 21 hours and I gave birth 45 minutes after I got into my hospital room. So, Mm. um, I sort of felt like there's all this stress about going to the hospital. There's all this, like a lot of my trauma is linked into like being forced to stay in the bed and having people give me directives and all of this. And it's like, I also labored for 20 hours without any medical attention. So like, what if I actually just hired a midwife to come and give me medical attention in my home while I'm laboring? Um, So I ended up having a home birth, which I have to also just say, I was not like a quote unquote believer in home birth. Like I wasn't, I didn't think it was a safe thing to do. I thought people were really um, irresponsible for not utilizing Western medicine and modern medicine in doing, choosing to have home birth. When I started my birth journey, yep. like full, full turnaround when you start, you know, having your own birthing experiences, but then attending tons of other births and you start seeing, you know, oh, well, it was caused by this. You start to see the cycle of the cascade of interventions and how like non-emergent emergencies can be. So anyway, I'm not like, I'm not here to tell people to have a home birth. Just that was my experience. Um, And then actually my daughter, my third daughter was really sick. And it's not something I talk about so much, but you asked sort of like how I come back into me. She was really sick um, for her first three years. She was really sick. She had something called FPIs food protein enterocolitis syndrome it's like it's like a it's like an allergy but instead of it being anaphylactic thank god it's um it's like an inflammation of the intestines right that she was she um luckily grew out of it by age three but the first three years of her life were us figuring out like how to care for her and it was all as many people probably can relate to, like the doctors weren't helpful. They were calling it reflux. I had to diagnose her. I had to address the root causes. I had to change her diet and my diet. And it was this really huge mm. um, re- reclaiming of our health journey, you know, which I was like luckily prepared for. But you also, even if you're not prepared for it, when your kid is not well and the doctors aren't giving you the answers you need you just kind of kick into gear because you have to. So so that's what we did. And then as soon as she was better, we were like, yay, she's better. We started like throwing parties in our home and like socializing and calling friends we hadn't talked to in a while. And then the pandemic hit like six months later. We were like, no, we're so close. So uh, close. 
Um, so in many ways, like I'm not really exaggerating having three kids in less than four years. Um, I, and then the pandemic hit, well, and then her illness hit and then the pandemic hit. So I am in like many ways, just in this past, like six months coming back into my own and like finding, you know, I just took a pickleball. I'm like a pickleball player now. I don't know. It's a very trendy thing, but I'm, I'm finding myself very much right now. Yeah. What? A journey. I just, I'm so grateful for just hearing all of that because you're right. The standard of care, the system right now, I had that exact same experience. I was basically forced to be induced, gaslighted into it, would have been a C-section with my first, except that the doctor got tied up in another C-section. So it gave me 45 more minutes to get him out. And I had the fetal ejection reflex takeover. And I had reactions to every intervention. I had an, inf- I mean, it was just awful. And, um, and I thought I'm going to do a redemptive, redemptive hospital experience for my second. I want to have three. And, um, but I just had a friend who not only did a VBAC, but she did a VBAC home birth because she thought she was going to just try to do it nat- a natural VBAC at the hospital. But 28 weeks in, she was already seeing stuff that was just reminding her of her first birth experience in the hospital. And she was like, I am leaving your practice and I will not be back. And she found a place and she described her home birth exactly like you said, just like a magical release and um, just incredible. Uh, And I, I think you're right. Once you start looking into um, the different options, you can really become empowered, but our society isn't, I think even just since I had my son two and a half years ago, there's more conversation around the options, or maybe I'm just in the space. So I'm seeing more of it. Um, but I hope, you know, and I love what you're doing and because you guys are getting good information out to people about the options through the birth workers and we'll get more into be her village, but I think there's just lack of conversation, right? People just do what they're told by their doctor as they've always done. And any question I asked at my practice, I was looked at like I was a crunchy granola hippie. And, you know, why would you even ask me that? This is just what we do. And anyway, um, I could talk about that all day. But I also wanted to just say that my jaw was dropping because I didn't know that there were midwife groups controlled by obese. That's so interesting. Because again, I just didn't know, but um, I will say, I think what's interesting is that around our country, around our globe, there are so many countries that just birth at home. It's just what you do. My cousin lives in the Netherlands and she's like, yeah, like that's just, again, what you do. And they're, they have better maternal health stats than we do as well. Yeah. Well, most people do. Yeah. (laughs) Most countries do. And the village, oh, go ahead. I had a very similar experience where I didn't talk about my planned home birth because I didn't have room in my preparation for families, even like their little like eye roll or like a little, you know, I'm very sensitive to energy. Most of us are when we're tuned into it. Like just, I didn't want to have to explain myself. I didn't want any seeds of doubt. So I didn't share it. I didn't, I think I told my mom cause I wanted her to be there. And I told my father cause he moved in with me <laughs> at the very beginning of my pregnancy. So I'm like, listen, I'm going to be naked in the living room. You're going to have to leave, you know, um, which she probably would have had to leave regardless if I was laboring at home. Um, And I told, you know, spoke about it with like friends, but I didn't talk about it like at Thanksgiving or I didn't, I didn't tell my brother um, and his wife, who I'm really close with, I didn't tell my husband's family and my husband's family is from Honduras. And, and it was after she was born and I finally was like, Hey, you know, Annabelle was born here. And we were like in the room where it happened. And instead of any eye rolls and instead of any negative reaction, they all were like, 
yeah, I was born at home. Oh, I was born at home. Yeah, I was born at home. His mother was, my husband's mother was born un at home, uh, sorry, born at home unassisted because they, they lived in the mountains and the midwife couldn't come in time. I realized that my daughter, we only skipped one generation. Like my husband was the only one born in the hospital, but his mom mother and his mother's granddaughter were born at home and my and my daughter she's only seven but if you ask her she's like absolutely her birth story um and it's really incredible how that is like the normal thing um I also just want to sort of go back to like this not knowing about you know the types of support and even knowing about midwives and and the intricacies of like the dynamics that they have of how midwives try to exist within hospital systems and why I always tell people you need a doula, even if you're hiring a midwife, you still need a doula because there's some things that doulas, me as a doula can tell you that a midwife can't tell you because they need to exist and make change greater within their system. You know, it's not to knock midwives, they're doing incredible, important work, but it does tie their hands sometimes. They have they have to say certain things to align with the standard of care so yeah. that they're covered by insurance. Like there's just they're they're part of a greater system even when they're doing great work and they're making change from within. Um and working with a doula, you get somebody that's literally working for you and able to give you that unfiltered information about your care and help plant those seeds for you. Um, but what I just wrote down as you were talking is the word outsourced. What we've really done is we've outsourced motherhood. We've outsourced motherhood to the doctors. We've outsourced motherhood to the baby stores. We've outsourced motherhood to like these external places and it really is time for us to take it back. It's time for us to reclaim the baby shower, to reclaim the preparation for motherhood as something greater than just buying some stuff in a store or just going into a, a doctor's appointment and not asking any questions or like becoming an active participant. And whatever that looks like for whatever person, that that is the end goal for me is to get people to really like step into their power as they go through motherhood. And it can look really powerful to have a C-section and to choose an epidural and to, you know, you can, it doesn't mean you have to be crunchy or that you have to choose exactly. to not have intervention, but to do it on your terms and with your knowledge and research and intentions and desires and family history and everything sort of where you get to write your own story that's the difference. And that's what we're trying to help people connect with is that support for before, during, and after for that entire motherhood transition. Because the stuff on the shelves at the baby store, while it might be nice to have, and it definitely feels really good to buy, there's a good dopamine hit buying totally. stuff, right? And like receiving stuff and opening a gift. But at the end of the day, like, what is the thing that's actually going to help you in this transition? And the answer most of the time is that community of professionals and friends and neighbors and coworkers and family. I can tell you're a good doula because I like want to go give birth now. I'm like amped up. I'm like, I wish I could go give birth. I wish I was pregnant now um, because it's just, you can just feel your passion coming through. And um, what what's really coming up for me is going back to that moment you had when you were in your nursery naked. There's a lot of nakedness postpartum. And, um, I moved the first month of my pregnancy from Boston to New Hampshire during the pandemic and no one was social. So I was like, it doesn't, I don't need to have friends because no one's being social. Then I had my newborn still kind of the pandemic. 
And the first six months are just, you know, trying to see some family, trying to figure out what's up, what's down, what's left, what's right. And I probably met my first, but, and also suffering all of the things that you described, just like the rawness of it, no village, no friends. And at about nine months, I met my first mom friend. And over the course of the last, let's call it year and a half, we're going through these stories and we're like, oh, you had that too. And the more mom friends, we've kind of had this community of mom friends now. It's like that village is where now I'm like, not only have I just had birth and pregnancy once, so I'm just, I've done it. So I'll have a better experience just having been through it once, but I've learned so much from these other women, but our society is not set up where women are all hanging out together. And uh, you know, cousins and and extended family are just nearby each other. Often, my only big experience with community in Boston was when I taught at Barry's boot camp because I was seeing all these people on a regular basis because they were in my class, but we weren't talking about motherhood. We weren't. That wasn't the subject. And I, I just, I think that just what you're creating and what you've built is so pertinent. But my question is. How do you attract and find these first time moms? Because it's almost like until you cross that threshold into motherhood, when you have the stroller to walk to the park or you have the baby to go to the the baby gymnastics class, you're just kind of spinning your wheels pregnant, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Nesting in your house and looking for resources, which is great. But again, you're not hanging out necessarily with all these other women um, and so I, I want to ask about just how you're really st- like trying to reach first time moms. And then also to bring up the word naive, I really believe that in entrepreneurship, it is a blessing because it's like ignorance is bliss. It's just like, let's just go out there and change the world. Not everyone has that. The logic and the not the op, whatever the opposite of naivete is kind of keeps people from chasing their dreams. So I really believe it's a superpower and I'd love to kind of like, hear how that's helped you in entrepreneurship. So first time mom entrepreneurship with being naive. So with first time moms, can I just get some clarity on the question? Is the question how do first time moms find each other or is it how is be her village finding first time moms? How is be her village finding the first time moms and getting them kind of into that village, so to speak? Oh, that's such a great question. So the way that we're doing it is actually we began thinking we're the registry for for support, not stuff. Like that was like a slogan I just like threw up on our very early social media. But now I see Be Her Village as the bridge between where moms are right now, which is shopping and being advertised to about baby products and where they need to be, which is thinking deeply about connecting to and funding and you utilizing support professionals and their village at large. Um, And so the way that we're reaching moms is by talking to them about what they're doing right now, which is building product-based registries. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that we're selling them a bunch of products. And I really, that's my bottom line. I will not sell a bunch of products on our platform. Like that's not, I'm not going to be hawking strollers at moms. And that's not to say we won't sell like, or align with products that are supporting their experiences. That's different. But we are talking to moms about their gift registries as they currently are. We're talking to them about their baby list registries. We're talking to them about their target registries and their Walmart registries. We're helping them understand the products and their role in their entire 
support uh, their entire motherhood transition. We're doing um, this wonderful new offering that we have, which is called Registry Rehab. We're doing workshops teaching moms about the things that should be on their registry, the things that should definitely not be on their registry, and the support services that they should add in order to help utilize the stuff that they're going to receive. We're doing registry audits. We're doing classes so that they can understand how to be successful in breastfeeding by building a great breastfeeding gift registry. So we're we're reaching them by talking to them about products and being one of the only people that's in their circle and that's on their algorithm that's not actually trying to sell them something. Because I think part of what happens as soon as you get pregnant is people just, your algorithm shifts and everything comes at you and like everybody wants to sell you something. And what we're saying is, hey, this is a lot because the moms we talk to are completely overwhelmed. It's scary. They're, They're being advertised to people are telling them horror stories people are telling them all these things to register for they're panic buying they're panic registering and they feel lost and the very first time that you get to like really define who you are as a mother is when you're building your gift registry you know and so what we are doing is we're saying hey parents we're going to help you figure that out we have people who can help you learn about products and learn what would work for your goals. And we're helping people um, feel better about building baby registries and build better baby registries at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really the way into new moms is to not be somebody that's, you know, telling them they're doing it wrong, but actually just making them feel like there's somebody who's... Like there's someone there that can help them, right? We're the only people who who are talking to parents about what they need, both products and services and support without trying to sell them something. And so that is what parents need. They're feeling really overwhelmed about their gift registry experience. um, And we're providing a, a safe place for them to land, to ask questions, to research, to explore um, without feeling pressure from from everybody that's telling them all the things they need. And we're doing that while also giving them really high quality information. Because the truth is, is that baby registries and the baby shower are a marketing campaign. They started in like the Mad Men era of baby company, baby product companies going to these Mad Men, you know, a Madison Avenue uh, marketing companies and saying, hey, how do we sell our products? And they said, cool, let's build out a party and they they created this tradition. Um, it used to be that there was multi-generational communities, homes. It used to be that people were providing nourishment, childcare, um, breastfeeding help. I mean, there was just, it was a really different experience before the baby shower um, came to be. And there's a reason why those of us who have already had our babies are sitting here going, man, there's a disconnect between what I registered for, what I was told I should register for, and what I actually needed once my baby come, came. There's a huge disconnect. Um, and so we're helping bridge that gap for new parents because we can't just yell at new parents and say, oh, you guys need all this support, you know? And we can't say, oh, you need a doula. Doulas are great. Yeah, they're $2,000. Okay, bye. You know, it's like, we need to build in the education. We need to build in the information and we need to build a tool, which is what we did to help them afford these out-of-pocket costs that are, that are at times feel astronomical um, to people. And so there's $12 billion a year being spent at least on baby showers 
our gifts, at least $12 billion a year. And so what we're doing with Be Her Village is we're helping parents understand better what they need and giving them the tool to utilize the thousands of dollars that their friends and family are going to spend yeah. to properly prepare them so that they can have some stuff, which they certainly need. Of course, we need some stuff to have a baby, um, but also to be able to access the care, the professional support and otherwise that we need as we welcome our babies. Wow. It's so powerful. And it reminds it like the, the phrase that's keep coming up for me is just meeting people where they're at, because you're right. People are aware based on our society and our culture that they're going to make a registry and they're probably going to have a baby shower. So it's like the perfect place to meet them where you're not saying, Hey, you're doing it wrong. And you need to, it's like, Hey, let me just help you do this a little better. And then you kind of open them. Like you said, it's like a bridge or like a gateway into a world where they can find that village and have those conversations that again, I kind of had in hindsight with other moms like, Oh wait, what passies do you use? Oh wait, what, what kind of bottles are you, you use bottles? When, like, you know, like when did you start pumping? It's like, I didn't have the community till later, but if I had known I could find it on one spot with professionals and experts, I think it's fantastic. And, um, you know, the, the standard of care is sort of, you know, the monster in the room, but it's, it's such a massive thing that systemically is going to maybe take a while to, to shift and change. But I think one of the things about providing people with resources is empowering them to have sovereignty in choice, but we can't have that if we don't know what the options are. Um, so I love what you're doing, obviously, that's why we're here. Um, but I'm curious, you know, hearing your story about having three kids in four years, then moving through a, a pandemic or sorry, moving through a, a child who has this allergy you just didn't know was coming, then having a pandemic. What was it that made you say, oh, and now I'm going to jump in with two feet and build this company? And like, <laughs> and was it the naivete that you think helped you? Because I mean, we're just looking at a timeline. That's pretty crazy. All right. Well, when you put it like that, maybe it's adult ADHD. I don't know. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. And I so many answers to it. Number one, it's because what else am I going to get up and do? What else am I going to get up and do? I have three kids now and the world does not ready for them. The world is not how it should be. Yeah. And I don't want them to go through what my husband and I went through. And I don't want my daughter to get overloaded with a bunch of crap she doesn't need at her baby shower and sit there naked and crying and wondering which way is up. Ooh, I'm getting a little choked up here. It. Yeah. I don't want her to have to go through what I went through. Yeah. So what else am I going to do? Yeah. I don't know. Once I went through that and was like, it's, it's 2010 or whatever year it was like, it, it was 2012 at the time. Like, how is it the 2000s? And we, and we're just, and this is my motherhood experience. And like, I'm a privileged person. I'm like a middle-class white lady. Like I, you know, how, how is it this way? It's almost like what we talked about in the beginning of like, how is everyone not having a warm meal and a book read to them and tucked in at night. Like how are mothers left alone to figure it out? So yeah. what else am I going to do except try to solve that problem? And and when you put it like what I did, I don't know how I did that or how that makes sense. But the number one thing is like, I just can't not try. And yeah. I did. I actually went on. I, I 
became a doula. I booked out my schedule. I ended up taking on a partner. We built out a team. We built out a mentorship. And when I created Be Her Village, it was because I had built out this team. We were seeing 100 families a year, which felt great, except it was only 100 families a year. Yeah. How are we helping every other mother in the country? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, wait, the baby shower. This is how we create access because we're where are we supporting mothers? We're supporting them through the baby shower. It's a little misguided. It's been corrupted. It's yeah. been taken over by corporate interests. And it's time to reclaim that and to stop being preyed upon. And so so how else could I do this? Like it was never really a question. Wow. Is is the real answer. Um, the second answer, and it kind of goes into the um the question about, you know, being naive and like, would you do it if you didn't know if you knew? I had no idea what yeah. I was doing. I still have no idea what I'm doing, but I didn't know that I was creating a platform that would be used across the country and in Australia and in Canada and all, you know, I didn't realize that. I was going to hire a developer and grow a team and bring on investors. I didn't realize that I was going to have to like learn how to market and like make an email journey. I don't know. These are just, that was not, I was not a business person. I was a special ed teacher turned mom turned doula who cares a lot. And Mm. the rest of the pieces have just sort of fit into place or not, right? Like half the time we figure out where we're going because we made a bunch of mistakes that didn't get us where we wanted to be. Um, So that's, that's the other half of the answer. Like I absolutely did not have an understanding of what I was getting into. But once you realize the enormity, once you realize the potential, once you start putting it out there and building up excitement and and holding this vision of what the world should look like. And I've always been really good at that. I know what this world should look like. Mm-hmm. And we're just like inch by inch getting to where we want to be. Um, so it's not necessarily a thoughtful process. I, this might sound ridiculous, but like my husband and I never talked about me going back to work. The idea was I was supposed to stay home with the kids, but then I was like, I'm going to take a doula training. And all of a sudden I had like four doula clients a month and I was working 45 hours a week while being the primary caregiver and, you know, teaching childbirth ed and running workshops. And then I was like, I'm going to start a website, you know, and it was just, we never talked about it. It just sort of happened, Um, which would, if there are entrepreneurs listening, like that's just go do it. Who cares? You're going to make mistakes. Just do the thing, hold the vision of what you want this world to be, of the impact you want to have. That's what should move you forward. Not numbers, not spreadsheets, not I've never done it before, not I don't know what I'm doing, not somebody else is doing it better. Do you know who else is doing baby registries better? Like literally everybody except us. Like (laughs) that's how it feels every day. Is that going to stop me from trying every single day to grow this and grow our impact? Absolutely not, because we're just going to keep going until the world looks how we want it to look. Well, it's so uh, being, you know, one year into starting a company and just like real, like when you say starting the newsletter or building the team or getting investors, I'm like, all of those things to me have felt like, cause I'm in process with so many of them, like climbing Mount Everest. And so it's like, I think a lot of people listening, it's like, yeah, logically you do those things in a business, but until you've done it, like the intensity of all of these things is so high. And I think a lot of people who can maybe tune into how intense it is are the ones that are like pumping the brakes and not chasing their dreams. But I just love hearing your passion and your enthusiasm and just your drive to do it because that's truly like what it takes to have all those things fall into place. And in hindsight, maybe it seems easier. I don't know, but it reminded me of, um, I was listening to some podcasts. I don't even remember whose it was with Richard Branson. And he was telling the story about how like 
you know, 30 years into business, someone pulled him outside of a boardroom was like, do you understand the difference between like net profit and gross profit? And he was like, to be honest, no. <laughs> and like, it's like, because it doesn't matter. His job is to hold the vision. His job is to see the world differently and to engage and enroll people in that versus trying to like overanalyze, like the, the, everything will fall into place. And I, I think my belief in that is what got me started and continues to drive me. And sometimes it's hard not to get caught up in getting the investors or building the team. And so I'd love for you to share for, we have a lot of entrepreneurial people listening. Um, what, if you can track or or look back in hindsight, like was there ever one challenge that felt like the hardest for you or that seemed not impossible, but something that just like really made you like. All of it. It's just all of it feels impossible every day. If you don't feel like you're failing 98% of the time, then you're not a founder. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so um, that right now. It's, it all feels really hard. It all feels like you're not doing it right. And I think, I don't know that somehow has become like my comfort zone Okay, because because what I've realized is we're supposed to go to where it feels good, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if things aren't feeling good, we change them, which means we change them a lot, right? Like, if that messaging isn't feeling good, or if that team member isn't feeling good, or if this campaign isn't feeling good, or if this week isn't feeling good, we tear it apart and we build it back up again. Like it is, we have been through so many iterations of this company, both like in a way that you could track externally on our social media and in a way that is internal where we have started fresh or we have torn it down to the parts that are working. How many times my partner JD and I have gotten on a call and been like, can we just make a what's working, what's not working list? Cool. And we just list what's working, what's not working. And then we put energy into what's working and we throw away what's not working. How many ideas we've thrown out there and what sticks we go towards that. Um, and that I think is probably the biggest part of this has been the like the um, the realizing that you have to co-create something that it, you can't do it by yourself. Number yeah. one, that our role as founders, as CEOs is to hold the vision. It is to get people excited about that vision. It is to call in the right people and to move the organization forward and to create an organization that exists outside of us. Yeah. For the first year and a half, Beaver Village was something I worked on in yeah. my head in a couple of emails. And now Beaver Village is something that exists very much outside of me. And mm -hmm. I'm actually not allowed to go in the back end of the site because I broke it once. But it's like, it's become this bigger thing. And what I've done is I've realized I don't have everything it takes to do this. I yeah. need somebody who doesn't have ADHD that like knows how to work a spreadsheet. Yeah. So we got somebody that did that, you know, and we got somebody to develop the site and we get people to sell things for us and we get birth workers to come and talk to us and give us insight. And, and there's this co-creation um, that happens alongside not just your internal team, but yeah. also your users. I had a vision for the site yep. originally where everything was going to be like $50 for this and $25 for this. And we were going to make it really like going shopping at Target. And the first time that we had moms come and use the site, they were just like, nope. And all of them said it needs to look like this. And like this is what it looks like now. 
because yeah. we have every single part of our platform, every single part of our offerings is because that is what parents have wanted from us. That's what gift wow. givers have wanted from us, or that's what birth workers have wanted from us. And that's not an easy thing to do is to sort of like have this ability to take criticism, take feedback and shift and change. But when you co-create with the people you're trying to serve, you actually make something they'll use. You actually make something they'll talk about. You actually make something they're excited about and are willing to uh, give you their biggest investment. You know, speaking of investors is people's time and energy. You know, I say getting investors, like we've raised this tiny itty bitty friends and family round. I mean, tiny, it's like adorable. And and everything we've done has been organic. Everything we've done is getting on podcasts like yours. So thank you for having me. It's everything we've done is from sitting in groups of birth workers, is from, you know, having parents be excited about our platform and tell their friends and family that they should use this. Like everything has been um this place of just going to what feels good and remembering who we're serving, which is which is not even necessarily us. It is the future, yeah. the vision, and the people we're trying to impact. I don't oh. know if that answered your oh, question. 1, <laughs> like, that's sort of just oh, how we operate around here. <laughs> I love it so much. And it's just in invigorating to me to hear. And um, when you were kind of sharing just how like one thing kind of led to another, and you never had a moment with your husband where you sat down and you're like, I'm going to build this thing. And this is what's going to look like. And this is how much time, like it just, like you said, organically, like, the word co-creation is like, was, was coming up for me because- that's really, it's like you take a step, the universe takes a step, users take a step, someone you know comes in out of nowhere to help you. And it's, it is really wild, but it, there's such a high degree of trust. And I think um, in yourself and in your vision and in your passion. And I think um, motherhood also teaches us to help our, like to trust ourselves a lot more. Um, but the one and kind of final question before I just ask you about what's coming up for um, Be Her Village is um, kind of the, uh, the question that I don't think there is a great answer to, which is just, I, like I said, I can feel your passion through this Zoom. And I would like to think I have the same passion for what I'm building, which is why I'm doing this here right now versus being outside playing with my son right now. And it's like, how do you toe the line between motherhood and work when you had that creative desire and love motherhood. It's like motherhood is the reason you're even here, right? Because of that experience. And we find so many women, we have a support group every month that are really, really thinking hard about that question of what is it to work and be the primary parent? And so how do you balance that? Like I said, no, no perfect answer, right? Yeah. Um, I don't <laughs> most of the time. I think it's a pendulum that swings. I think that yeah. when I focus a lot of attention on my children and I'm the perfect mom and I'm doing all the things, not that I'm ever the perfect mom, but you know what I mean? When, when they get the bulk of me, the business falters, the business doesn't grow, the business feels it and vice versa. Um, I think though that Be Her Village and my work with Be Her Village is really important. It's, we've had $225,000 gifted to moms. Like there's impact. It's amazing. But I'm a mother. I'm a mother to my children. I get them at this age once and my priorities are in line. We take off. I don't jump on Zoom when I am, uh, you know, yesterday, Columbus, not yesterday, Columbus Day. We don't, I, I didn't log on. I am their mother. That's my first obligation. And it's might not be the most like progressive or whatever, 
But sometimes being their mother looks like I'm working. You got to go. You know, like sometimes being their mother means modeling um, me taking time for me, which is work. I love, love digging into this most of the time. Um, So I don't have a perfect answer for you. But um, I did just recently go out to breakfast with a local pelvic floor PT. And she posed that to me. She goes, you know, we always talk about like how working mothers can do it all and we can have it all. She's like, but I really feel a little torn between like, I want to be there for my kids when they get off the bus. And I feel like I could be growing my business more, but I'm not. And I feel guilty about that. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that a lot of us, um, a lot of us struggle with. And I don't think there's an answer and I don't think there's a balance in the immediate, um, yeah. But I'll say this, I have an alarm that goes off every day at from three to eight. It's literally on my calendar and it's called family time. Wow. And this came from a time where I was like working all day, going to pick them up, throwing them into homework or whatever, and coming back to this desk and working until nine o'clock at night. And my husband, who's so supportive and like never, you know, just go do whatever you need to do. He pulled me aside and he was like, listen you're just, you just come out and you yell at them and you go back in, like either come and be present or go in and don't come out and yell at us. Like you have to pick one or the other. And I picked allotting from three to 8 PM as pure family time. Um, and it's, it, it was something I needed. I needed an alarm to go off and a visual because the pendulum was swinging too hard in one direction and not coming back. Mm. Um, and now it's easy peasy to have that time for them. And I don't usually log back in at night. Um, so that it's not a good answer, but it is, you know what, we're all struggling with it. It looks different to be a mother who owns a business and it's okay that it looks different. And I like to believe that when we have this more limited, like, uh, present FaceTime, we yeah. use it differently. It's work yeah. smarter, not harder. It's set up yeah. partnerships, set up systems, set up processes, um, and show up when you can, where you can, because if you're showing up in a half-assed way, like what's even the point that's for right. motherhood or for your business, like to be showing up in a way that's feeling my new favorite term, stressy, depressy, oh, <laughs> either of those, like, what is the point? Um, so just, wow. it looks different for everybody and it looks different at different times in your cycle. And it looks different yes. at different times of the year, you know, yeah. July, I don't, I want to work like three hours a week in July, you know? So, um, so everyone's going to find their own balance. And I think flexibility, just like anything else in parenthood or in labor or in birth, it's just being flexible, being open, showing up when you can, how you can, and really forgiving yourself for not being perfect all the time. That is such a good answer. I love it. I feel seen. I think that's a great strategy. And it also reminds me of, um, just like the cycles, like you said, like when you have a newborn, life is going to look a little different than when you have a five-year-old. And just like when you're getting a business off the ground versus having had a business and it now have a team at year three or four or five. And so I think just trusting yourself and setting those boundaries is huge. And is it Tim Ferriss that has the um, four-hour workday or four-hour work week? So it's like, it's all possible. It's just what you believe in. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And I guess to wrap up, what are you most excited about and where we'll have it all in the show notes, but where can people find you connect with you and be her village? Awesome. Um, I'm excited about everything that we're doing. We're building out all kinds of great things. Like we have our registry, come and check out our registry. 
a registry is more than just a cash registry too. What we also have is a whole network of birth workers and practitioners and professionals. So if you're a birth worker or a professional, come, it's free to sign up, add your services. You'll be found by people that are shopping for you in your area. It's all, it's like this really cool dynamic registry guide that fills in according to who's in your local area. Cause we want to connect parents to the birth workers in their area. Um, if you're a parent and you don't know where to start, you can start with Be Her Village. We have people that will jump on the phone with you and walk you through it. We are doing um, registry audits. We have a registry rehab workshop um, at the end of October. And wow. we have and we have just all, all these offerings to help birth workers understand how to talk about baby products and to help parents understand how to build a registry that'll really work for them. Um, you can start with all of those things at beherville.com, B-E-H-E-R-V-I-L-L-A-G-E.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram. I am in the Instagram stories and I answer all the messages. So just please, I'm very accessible. Um, yeah. So just come check the website out, check us out on Instagram. We just started a TikTok account because, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to be cool on TikTok. <laughs> it's not me on TikTok though. I am not cool. Um, and <laughs> Yeah, it's we're here for anything you need. And I also just want to like have an open invitation. If you're excited about this and you want to get more involved, or if you're like, oh, this is really cool, but you should be doing this, like we're also constantly co-creating. So let us know what your ideas are and what you need from us and what you'd like to work on together. We're here for it. I love it so much. Thank you so much for the time, the wisdom, the stories. Like I am, I am changed for the better. And um, I know the listeners will love this so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me.